0: You've probably noticed that this has been a record breaking summer of heat for the Northern Hemisphere. Probably also read that Russia has pushed those thermometers higher than at any other time in its history. And every time I have crawled into my 1996 Chevy Blazer with its broken and useless air conditioner. (laughs) It has felt like I was traversing the entire Trans-Russian Highway by myself with all the windows down. So, you can imagine it, shade lover that you are. That moment, as he squatted there beneath the blinding, blistering midday sun. So oppressively hot was it that even though he huddled in the shade of that gangly clutch of terebinth trees that reached out of the barren dirt to the fiery sky, so hot that any movement of the man or the air enveloping the man only supercharges the air of that shade and those shadows. But lo and behold, while the man sat there, frozen as it were in the heat, not daring to breathe or move, lo and behold, Across the shimmering, dusty horizon, there, there moves slowly three nomadic wanderers, their hoods pulled tightly over their faces. Thus, they walk in the shadows of their own creating. The man squatting in the shadows himself is a guest. As wrinkled hands instinctively cup about his squinting gaze. It is no mirage. It is clear. They, they are three passing strangers. Raising himself out of that squat. Gathering his robe about him. He cannot leave these strangers ungreeted and unattended. He races out into the blinding light, comes panting up to their sides, a wreath of sweat himself. Certain that they surely needed a moment of rest and refreshing, he insists that they come to his humble abode. The three hooded strangers wordlessly look at each other and then into the face of this man beneath the sun. And they nod. They will have lunch with him. The title of our teaching today: Entertaining Angels. More water in the soup, an extra plate at the table. Let's pray. Oh God. Please, teach us to be like the man with the three strangers for the glory of Christ. Amen. God bless America, and I mean that sincerely. But aren't we, come on, be honest, aren't we a peculiar people? I mean, you think about it. Here we are, nearly everybody in this nation is a child or descendant of immigrants, be it a slave, be it a colonist, be it anybody who wasn't here first. None of us arrived, most of us, in this place on our own. And yet here we are as a nation having this huge national debate over the place of immigrants, illegal, and Muslims, legal, and foreigners, legal and illegal, What place do they have in the life of our our public community? Should there be a Muslim cultural center built near ground zero or not? Should illegal aliens be granted amnesty and eventual legality or not? Should the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which declares that every child born in this land is a citizen of this land, should that amendment be repealed or not? The only reason you and I dare step into this fractious debate for only, trust me, only a split second is because bantering about in the public discourse right now is a very unusual word. It isn't a part of our daily conversation, and yet the press has pressed it into our consciousness. You're going to hear the strange word spoken if you haven't already, and I want to put the word on the screen for you and have you take a look for a moment. Ponder this word. Xenophobia. The X is pronounced like a Z. Xenophobia. That English word is actually composed of two little Greek words that are plussed together. Xeno means stranger and phobia means fear. So xenophobia is a fear of strangers. Amazingly enough, the single line that you and I go to this morning offers a word the exact Opposite of xenophobia. We go to this word, having pondered for a moment this man with the three strangers, this heated national debate, and wondering if in the juxtaposition there's a word for God and this university community on the eve of a new year. So find in your Bible, please, the book of Hebrews. Find Hebrews. A line you and I have not... Brooded over together before that I recall, but let's go to it. Hebrews chapter 13. Find Hebrews chapter 13. I'd give you the page number from the new Andrew Study Bible, but the 400 of them that we dedicated last Sabbath are going to the freshmen, and they're all away, the freshmen, our new students, on retreat this weekend. And it's possible you haven't picked up your own copy of the new Andrew Study Bible. I'll be in that Study Bible. That's the New King James Version. By the way, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. It's the same translation as I'll be using right here. And the page number that you want from the Pew Bible will be page 811. Let's take a look. One line. Let's brood over this line on the eve of a new year here. Hebrews chapter 13. Pick it up in verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And remember, we're looking for a word that's the antithetical to xenophobia, a fear of strangers. And wouldn't you know it, the word is tucked in, tucked into this line that we've just read in the Greek. Although the English, I've got to tell you this, the English, and I lined up about 25 English translations. Almost every English translation takes the Greek word, which is a noun, and turns it into a verb, an action word. See if you can spot that word. In fact, the word itself—if I can put it on the screen for you—the Greek word itself, philozenia. Same, uh, uh, a couplet forming the word philo, meaning love or friend. Zeno, we already noticed, is stranger. So that you get the word friend of stranger. Two words. Put together exactly the opposite of each other. First word, xenophobia, fear of stranger. Second word, friend of stranger. And in fact, if we could coin, as you and I can do, an English word to match the first word, the first word would be uh, xenophobia, which you've already looked at, fear of strangers. But we can coin the word, just flip the two around, xenophilia or friend of strangers. Fear of strangers. Friend of strangers. Which one do you suppose God's calling us to be? It's a no-brainer. Read it again. Verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers. There's the verb. Could be an infinitive, but there it is. It's actually a noun. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly. And I love that in the New King James. Unwittingly. Some have unwittingly entertained angels. Do you think the man in the burning... uh, Shade of those terebinth trees. Do you think he had any idea who those three strangers were? You recognize the man, I'm sure his father Abraham. Did he have a clue as he reached out to embrace those strangers into his life? I want to go for a moment because this is, this is one of the classic stories in all the Scripture. It's short and it's punchy, but let's just go back to the original story that's undergirding this single line in Hebrews chapter 13. Go back to Genesis 18 for a moment. Let's just read this story together. Genesis chapter 18. Familiar story. But see how the story sets up for the impassioned appeal of that single line from Hebrews 13. This is Genesis chapter 18. Pick it up in verse 1. Then the Lord, that would be Almighty God Himself. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre. As he was sitting in the tent door, the the heat of the day. And so he lifted up his eyes, verse 2. Abraham did, and he looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the ground, and he said, My Lord, apparently one of the three, even though they're hooded, one of the three, by his very presence, seems to be the leader of the group. And he addresses the leader as he bows to the ground. My Lord. This is oriental hospitality at its best. He has no clue who they are. My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass, do not pass on by your servant. Verse 4, please, let a little water be brought and we wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I'll bring a morsel of bread and you may refresh your hearts. And after that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And the three strangers, the hooded ones, looked at each other and they said, let it be. Do as you have said. So, verse 6, Abraham hurries. I mean, he's flying. He hurries back to the tent and he says to Sarah, quickly, make ready three measures, of fine meal needed to make cakes. And Abraham runs to the back of the herd. He takes a tender and good calf and he gives it to a young man and he hastens to prepare it. And there has to be a whole lot of time that happens between verse seven and verse eight because they're preparing the calf. And finally, the dinner is ready. Verse eight. So he, Abraham, took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and he set it before them. And they stood by them and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. I'm sure God knew that he was eating a high cholesterol diet in that meal that's being served to him. You think he got come by surprise? He knows this is high cholesterol. We got cream. We got butter. We got cottage cheese. And we got veal. But God himself is following the admonition he would give later in the New Testament through Paul when there are times when you just eat what's set before you. You don't ask, is there any cholesterol in this food I'm about to partake? You just say, thank you very much. It's lovely. So, that's what God did. God bless him. So, they eat that high fat diet. Verse 9. Then they... So, it's like the three are talking here. Then they said to him, Abraham, where is Sarah your wife? Yo, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I haven't introduced anybody to you. My wife has been dutifully behind the scenes, running ragged, getting this dinner ready for you men. How do you even know I have a wife? How do you know her name is Sarah, by the way? So they say to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, "Here in the tent. And he now, the leader, merges out of the three. He, the Almighty One. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, in other words, nine months, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Mercy. And Sarah, I wonder where Sarah is in this oriental all-male conversation. What's it say here? Oh, you knew it, didn't you? Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind Abraham. She has her ear, that pretty little ear, pressed against the goatskin, hanging on every word. She's been eavesdropping the whole time. So she's listening in. Sarah was listening in the tent Door, which was behind Abraham. Verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah. Oh, by the way, you need to know this. Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. Sarah's 89. Abraham's 99. Well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Menopause has come and gone. It's over. All right. Verse 12. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. There's no... There's no. It's, it's totally silent. You ever have those times when you stifle a laugh and it's way down deep inside of you? You want to let it out, but you don't dare. That's what Sarah's doing. She's laughing within herself, saying to herself, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, and my Lord also being old. By the way, I'm not the only old one here. We've got an old man that I'm married to. Don't put it all on me. That's what she's saying to herself. And, now notice, the stranger out at dinner... The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Oh, I love that. I'm just so tempted to shoot down, chase that rabbit down that path. I heard Pastor Tim preach this morning in his prayer. When he said, God, is anything too hard for you? Straight out of this story. Talking with a little freshman between services, I said, "Why aren't you on the retreat?" The student said, "I got here too late. I'm struggling financially. I had twelve dollars more than the amount I said to God I have to have if I'm going to Andrews University." She was in First Church. Came up to see me in my office. And she's wondering. And her eye got all teary-eyed and had to pull out my little box of Kleenex that every pastor keeps in in his study and office. We have prayer together. And I see the student is back. So I want to say to that student and anybody else who's like this student right now, you're facing insurmountable odds. The obstacles seem unassailable. I want to say to you, my friend... The Almighty One, the hooded stranger, has just spoken a word of hope and promise to you. And sister, brother, when you go home today, latch on to Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. God Himself is asking, is there anything, tell me, is there anything that's too hard for me to do? Don't you give up, because He's got you. He's got your number. He's reading your thoughts. He knows the anguish you're in. You don't have to be a student. You can be moving through life, and all of a sudden life is caved in, and you're wondering, can God extricate me from this mess? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the point. It's a rhetorical question that deserves an answer, and the answer is no, nothing is too hard for Him. So God said to Abraham, Verse 13, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, "I shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah will have a son. But Sarah now realizes she is dealing with not a nomadic stranger. There's somebody here who has read her thoughts, heard her laugh, knows her name. And Sarah gasps and instinctively denies. I didn't laugh. Because she's afraid. She knows who the stranger is. And Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh for She was afraid. And he said, oh, no. Yes, you did, girl. You laughed. I heard it. Verse 16, then the men arose from there and they looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. Two of them go down to Sodom. And fortunately, nephew Lot has been schooled in the oriental hospitality of Uncle Abraham. And when those same two angels show up, Lot grabs him and says, You've got to stay in my house tonight, please. And Abraham, now knowing who he's dealing with, begins to barter with God for the salvation of Sodom. Wow. That's the story. It undergirds that single line we're brooding on. Go back to uh, Hebrews 13. Now we read it, and oh boy, the story. That, that single line is rife with the implications of that story. Back to Hebrews 13, verse 2, Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Which really could read, Do not, do not succumb to xenophobia. Do not succumb to xenophobia, the fear of strangers, but embrace xenophilia, the love and friend of strangers. Don't be afraid of them. Be a friend of them. Do it just like Abraham and Lot. In fact, that summation of this single line is so critical, I wish you'd jot it down right now. Would you please grab the study guide that's in your worship bulletin? Thank you, ushers. Make sure that everybody here gets one. Hold your hand up. If you didn't get a a study guide up in the balcony, here. Are any of you sitting in overflow in the youth chapel as well? Just hold your hand up. We want to get this study guide to you. And those of you that are watching on television, we're glad to have you. Glad you're looking over our shoulder today as we're getting ready to begin a new year here at Andrews University. Let me give you the website. You can go to our website and get the same study guide and uh, fill it in with us. We'll put it on the screen right now. You see it there. You're looking for www.pmchurch.tv. Find the website, please, www.pmchurch. Dot .tv and this is a standalone teaching all by itself Enterta- entertaining angels more water in the soup an extra plate at the table when you find that click on and it'll say study guide click there and two clicks you're two clicks away from the study guide jot down the summation the entire summation of this line we're brooding over together jot it down would you please do not succumb to xenophobia that means being afraid Of strangers, write that in, being afraid of strangers. Do not succumb to xenophobia, but remember this word we've just coined, xenophilia. Actually, I've seen this word, just noticed it uh, uh, yesterday. Somebody else has played with this thing. Do not succumb to xenophobia, being afraid of strangers, but remember xenophilia, which means being a friend to strangers, for in so doing, some people have unwittingly entertained angels just like Abraham and Lot. All right. So just I don't want to be afraid of strangers. I want to be a friend of strangers. That's the whole point. Of Hebrews chapter 13, verse two. Actually, the the, the technical Greek word philozenia, philozeno, sorry, philozeno, which is the Greek word here. It's the the noun that's been turned into a, a verb. That word's only used twice in the New Testament. The other the other instance is what we just read a moment ago with Michael. Paradise, Our brand new worship leader, by the way, Michael. Good to have you on the team. He just read it with us a moment ago. Let's put it on the screen. This is the scripture. This is where that other word is only used twice in the New Testament. It appears right here, Romans 12. I like this, uh, verses 9 through 13 from the New Living uh, Translation. So, read it off the screen there. Don't just pretend to love others, Paul's writing. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other never be lazy but work hard and serve the lord enthusiastically rejoice in our confident hope be patient in trouble and keep on praying when god and here it comes now hold on when god's people are in need be ready to help them always be eager to practice hospitality there they're they're using it now as it rightfully is it's a noun fill that in will you please romans chapter 12 verse 13 jot it down always be prepared Always be prepared to exercise philozenia, hospitality. Always be prepared. I like that. By the way, you have to, you have to practice it. You've got to exercise it. Sometimes it just doesn't come naturally. I mean, oh, please don't ask me to do something like that. I'm just not a hospitable guy by nature. That's okay. You practice it. You practice it. You exercise it, you'll get good at it. You'll be very good at it. Abraham schooled himself, and by doing so, entertained the Almighty God and two angel companions, unbeknownst to him, unwittingly. I like that from the New King James. Unwittingly. All right? Hospitality. The entertaining of strangers. I mean, come on, folks, please. Having your friends over for dinner? That's not hospitality. That's friendship. Friendship. It's okay to have friendship, by the way. Have have as many friends as you want over. That's not Don't confuse that. That's not hospitality. Hospitality is bringing a stranger, according to the New Testament. A zeno, a stranger, a foreigner, somebody outside of your comfort zone. You bring somebody in. That's what hospitality is. Abraham is clear on it. Paul is clear on it. Hebrews chapter 13, 2 is very clear on it. Do not be forgetful to entertain strangers. Hospitality. Look, in a nation, unfortunately, paralyzed with this xenophobic fear of strangers. And sometimes I'm going to just, as an aside, say to you, I worry about where America is headed. I just worry. There's something in my gut that says, where does this all end? But in a nation that has this, this xenophobic fear of strangers, shouldn't the Church of Christ be stepping into the stepping up and saying, Hey, yo, strangers, come on over here. You are always welcome in our midst. Shouldn't that be the church? But of course. Look, I don't know who gave this to me. Somebody, I think maybe one of you, but somebody this last week sent me a URL with a very helpful piece from USA Today. I never would have found this on my own. If you're here right now and you're listening and you didn't leave a forwarding address, thank you very much. I want to share this with you now, the rest of us. This is a USA Today. An article appeared few months ago, and here it is right here. I got it. I ran it off. And the title of the article, this is why this person might have seen the title in the bulletin last week and said, hey, Dwight needs this. Here's the title of the article, uh, the headline. Churches say be our guest. I like that. Here's the teaser headline. Hospitality has found a home in the world of worship, and there's a lesson in this for the nation at large. Maybe the church can help America with its struggle today. Let me just read a line or two. It's not uncommon. Oh, by the way, the author is uh, Henry G. Brinton. He's pastor of the Fairfax Presbyterian Church in Virginia. And he's author of the book, Balancing Acts, Obligation, Liberation, and Contemporary Christian Conflicts. It's written. So he's writing a guest column or something. All right. Here's a line from it. It's not uncommon today to linger after a church service for a hot drink and perhaps a donut and a little time to chat with fellow worshipers. The days of get in and get out might just be behind us. Wouldn't that be great? Indeed, churches are rediscovering the power of hospitality, which goes back thousands of years. Think of Jesus feeding 5,000 people by the Sea of Galilee. What happened along the way, this author asks. Christianity suddenly became a much more intellectual enterprise after the Protestant Reformation. When churches split into different denominations over theological ideas, preachers and teachers tried to attract followers with compelling insights and ideas. And I love this line. The focus of the faith shifted from the heart to the head, leaving the stomach behind. Yeah, I like that. In fact, let's put that on the screen. I want you to jot it down. Henry Brinton, in that column, wrote this. Jot it down, will you? The focus of the faith after the Reformation. The focus shifted from the heart to the head, leaving the stomach behind. Please. And then he quotes two other authors. And I just want to... That's all I'm going to quote from his piece, two-page piece. But let me just share these quotations. I thought these are dynamite. Put this one on the screen for you. This is Christine Pohl. She's written the book, Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition. Put the quotation that interests me on the screen. Through hospitality. Would you scribble that in, please? Through hospitality. This befriending strangers. Through hospitality, we discover the ways we are both alike and different. When we welcome other people into our lives, we create space in which each person's gifts and insights can be shared. You actually benefit yourself by benefiting a stranger. A rising tide lifts all ships. Everybody gets blessed. It's win-win. Oh, that's good. And here's one more. Arthur Sutherland. He's written the book, I Was a Stranger, a Christian Theology of Hospitality, quoted in this USA Today uh, opinion piece. Here's the quote on the screen. Human beings are made for relationship. Every time I reach beyond my near circle of relationships toward one that is farther away, I enrich the relationships closest to me. Isn't that good? When I reach outside of my comfort zone to somebody who's way out there. I strengthen all the relationships that are important to me as well. It's a win-win every time. So that when I go to the cafeteria and I'm sitting there, and every time I go, I swear that girl is always in that corner by herself. Every time I eat here, I tell you what, that guy is always over in that corner and he's eating by himself. When I get out of my friendship zone, and I say, I'm plopping my tray down by this stranger. I don't know who he is, but I'm going to become a friend right now, and I plop that tray down. What happens is, by reaching outside my comfort zone, I'm strengthening every relationship important to me I'm a rising tide just lifting all the ships together that's that's an awesome thought you end up blessing yourself by blessing a stranger xenophobia the nation is gripped with it in some circles fear of strangers the Bible is replete with the call not afraid of strangers a friend of strangers instead that's the call So what's all this have to do with you and me on this last Sabbath before a new university year begins? Well, because the university student is our primary mission, talking pioneer right now, our primary mission. And because young adults are what God has asked us to do best, it has occurred to the senior leadership of this church. And we've talked about it on the church board. I've met with multiple circles. I've met with leaders on this campus, the deans, student leaders. It's occurred to all of us that one of the most important ways, the mo- one of the most needed ways right now on this campus to live out the love of Christ to our university students is to throw wide the doors to our homes to them. So this last April, OK, it's April 20, as a matter of fact, I get a bunch of Andrew students together. I said, I'll give you pizza if you'll talk to me. So they came. They wanted the pizza. But I got to talking as well. And I asked them this question. I said, hey. What can Pioneer be doing for you that would make a helpful difference in your life here at Andrews? So, Sherry Davis, my executive assistant, she's sitting on her laptop typing it all up, and I got my yellow pad, and I'm writing it down as fast as I can. I want to share just a smattering of their responses. What could this church, this campus church, be doing to make your life better? Here's one. I thought this was interesting. We need spiritual mentors. We need older people that we respect. I I, I actually was blown away by how often it came up. We'd like to be around older people. I thought it would be the exact opposite. You know, like we want to just hang with our own. That's not the truth. Not this generation. Here's another one. Pioneer. You know what, Pioneer? Pioneer's a spectator arena where nobody needs me. Ooh, I don't want to be that. Just come and have a great worship service and then that's all that church is good for. Here's another one. I thought this was a great idea. I haven't talked to the elders yet about it. Could elders sit in the same area every second service so that they become regular hosts for those pews? And I'll go back and sit in that. The implication is I'll go back and sit in that place because I know that elder. You see, what's happening here? We want to establish some kind of connection and a relationship. If that elder could be there every week and he'll miss me when I'm not there. I want a sense of belonging. Oh, I thought that was interesting. Good. Relationships with adults outside of worship during the week. That's what we'd like. Here's another one. Adopt a student strategy. Not interested with general sign-up. Rather, the leader invites us. Here's another one. Students want to relax on Friday evening and Sabbath, Sabbath uh, afternoon. Somebody wrote this with just pitiful handwriting. I don't know what's going <laughs> They want to relax on Friday evening and Sabbath afternoon. Just... Just kicking back and enjoying each other. That's what they're saying. I can, I can feel that one. <laughs> All right, let me just give you a couple more. Juice and biscuits afterwards. You know, a little place to mix around and have some juice and biscuits. That's not a bad idea. I tell you what, if you provide the juice and the biscuits, I'll be there to share them with you. <laughs> okay, one more. I thought this was interesting. This is good. Invite worshipers at the end of a sermon to invite somebody home for dinner to discuss the sermon. That's not a bad idea. Sermon gets discussed anywhere, so having some guests around might control the discussion a little bit. Wait till the kids are gone. We'll talk about that part. That's good. What's the point, ladies and gentlemen? The point is, I talked to a group of students from Andrews University. they they're the real thing. And they're saying, you know what? It'd be wonderful if there was some kind of relationship that gets formed here. And we become a part of some families. We don't have to go to, go over to your house every Friday night or every Sabbath. No, but if every so often we got to connect with the same people. Because we respect those who are older. And you know what? I wrote this in my blog in today's, uh, in today's bulletin. I was here for a freshman year. Uh, Worship, and our president delivered a very, very appeal, uh, a poignant appeal to those young minds of these future scholars. But I'm, I'm, I'm mingling afterwards, and I'm telling you, their parents, they're just tears. Just, and, and, and you know, the, the students seem pretty brave, but the moms and dads are something. I realize how hard it is. It's tough when you're a new student. And for some people, that's the first cut. I left home at the age of um, 14 and never came back again. But some go all the way till college, and then this is the first time. I want to be around a family. i got my friends back in the dorm, but that's not enough for me. I want to be around people who will care and begin to know me. And and, and I can turn to for counsel, and I can say, Hey, what would you do if you were in my place? Wow. So what would happen if we took them up on their idea? What if we had tapped into this young adult longing to belong? By the way, young adults want to belong before they believe. I so said, Don't talk to me about believing anything. I want to belong to something. This generation wants to belong first. What if we tapped into that? And we did it by inviting young adults to come to our homes. Hey, come on over here. It's Friday night. We'll put a little more water in the soup. It's nothing fancy. A little more water in the soup. Put a few extra plates around the table. Come and join us. Have a little singing afterwards, maybe. Or We don't sing in our home. So we'll, have, we'll read the Bible together. Have a little discussion together. Then you go back to the dorm. What would happen if we did that two or three times a semester? And the same young adults, you're not locked in for eternity, but for that semester, you may want to do it in two semesters. Maybe go into second year. You could track it. You could track four students all the way through their Andrews University journey. Think of the relationship. Could it be that God somehow could grow a love for him all because you grew a love for them? Somebody could be just on the line and God is saying, man, I just need one warm family. I could pull them over. I could pull somebody they could turn to at a critical moment. And I already see it's coming, God says. I need a family for him. I need a family for her. Wouldn't it be something? In the bulletin today, there's a little buff colored insert that looks like this. Would you pull it out? Student or... Student or binary member. Visitor, doesn't matter. Just pull it out. A little buff colored insert that looks like this. It says adopt a student at the top. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Karen and I are going to do this. And I'd like to invite you to join us. If you're a family in this community, would you just put a... Look, you see where it says family? I slash we would be happy to host, to be a host family for blank AU students. What goes in that blank? Numbers 2, 3, 4, 5, however many you wish to, to host. Just put a number there. I slash we would be happy to be a host family for this, this number of AU students two or three times a semester. Put your name down, phone number, email, and an address. Look at it, if you're from South Bend, we'll, we'll want to send a student from South Bend your way. So that helps to know just the general vicinity. If you're in town, just put in town. You say, Dwight, am I, I signing my life away? No, you're not signing your life away. you just saying, we're going to throw the doors open. Two or three times a semester, we're going, to invite, we're going to invite students to come on in. Come on over. Here's the directions. In fact, we'll pick you up at the dorm. Village students? Oh, but of course. This isn't just for dorm. Any student. Pioneer senses it's time to throw wide our doors. Not just on Sabbath morning, but for occasions where we can be family. In smaller little units. and this giant worship celebration. So, family, would you be willing... Join Karen and me. Let's do it. Oh, here's the other one. Student. we got students here. I know you're here. I would like to enjoy the company of a pioneer family in their home two or three times a semester. Just put your name, phone number, email. That's it. Say, am I I signing my life away? What if I get a really creepy family? You won't get a creepy family. (laughs) Unless you come to our home you won't get a creepy family I know the families in this church I've hung around them a long time I feel very safe in doing this you'll get a family that loves you you say it's kind of scary Dwight you know going up to the door I don't know what they're like yeah it is it's scary to be a host family and it's scary to be a volunteer Said, so, I need to break out of my little own age group comfort zone I need somebody that I can look up to and talk to and pray with it, it, it's only scary the first time then it's not scary and in fact, here's the deal. Karen Toms, our chaplain, Karen Toms is going to oversee this. Here's the deal. You'll be able to bring some friends. So a lot of times when, we, when Pioneer families are saying, I'll take three or four, that may be Karen Toms going to one student saying, you can take three, you can take three friends with you to this home. So you'll never go a total stranger. you go surrounded with armed friends who will protect you. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen to you. Nothing is going to happen to you. So you're with your own. You're with a roommate. You're with a couple buddies. doesn't matter. If you come to our house, that's fine. Bring them. And we'll have a Friday night together. Maybe we'll do Sabbath dinner after church together. we we'll go for a drive together. we we'll sit around and talk theology together. It's just anything will go. Centered on Jesus. So listen, student, fill it out. Please. I was surprised, first service, the response we had. I'm emboldened. I'm emboldened with a church that's full today to say, please, we need you. We want to get the homes first. We've got to get the homes. And then starting next Sabbath, we'll, we'll be pushing this with the students. So they'll sign up. But if you're a student here, don't wait till next week. Let's just fill out one of these right now. Here's the deal. Just fill it out. Turn it upside down. We're going to turn it to the center aisle. I want to tell a story. I want to share a story with you. And then it's over. So just fill this out. Do something for Jesus. By the way, may I, may I remind you that what Calvary is all about, the cross. See this brand new cross that we put into the pulpit? We put into the pulpit this summer while you were away. Brand new cross. It was there before, but it's darker. It's walnut wood now. Do you know what this cross is all about? This cross is God coming down to a planet of strangers. They don't know me. They don't love me. They don't care for me. But I'm going to those strangers. And I'm going to throw wide the door of my heart. And I'm going to say, I am a friend of strangers. Come to me. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. God has already risked His entire kingdom on a planet of strangers. And God will give you the same God who will give you. Calvary is proof that the same God will give you a heart for strangers. You'll love them. You'll come to love them. Some of these will become the most special relationships you will have during your time at Andrews University or while you're here with us. We'll have. So fill it out. Turn it upside down. There's no big secret. Leave it right side up. Who cares? This is not a secret. And the deacons in just a moment are going to come as we sing our closing hymn. They're just going to come right down this aisle. They'll pick it up. So just hand it all to the center. While while uh, you're doing that, I got to I got to end with a story. I love this story. This has to be my favorite. One of my, if not the one of my favorite Christmas stories. It's a story about the village cobbler. You remember the, the, the the shoe repairman in that little village. All love this story. Some nights before Christmas Day, Jesus appeared to him in a dream. And he said to the, to the cobbler, I'm going to come to your house on Christmas Day. The cobbler was beside himself when he awakened the next morning. He could hardly wait for Christmas to come. The little tiny humble home is scrubbed from head to toe. Everything is cleaned up and ready. And on Christmas Day, early in the morning, there the shoe cobbler sat in expectancy. And sure enough, a few minutes went by and boom, there was that knock at the door. He flew to the door and threw it open. And his face fell because it's the village beggar, the beggar, hoping for something to eat. The cobbler sighed he said, all right, come in, come in, please, out of the cold. I'm going to have to dip into that meal that I prepared, but that's all the food I have. And so he dipped into that meal and he put a plate down in front of the baker sitting, the, the baker sitting by that fireplace. And when the man was through with a very grateful thanks, he left. And the cobbler went back to his seat, waiting and waiting. I know somebody's going to come now. And sure enough, a few hours went by, but there was a knock at the door. He raced to that same door, threw it open. And it's oh, so just a little girl living with her family at the edge of the village. She's holding in her hands a broken dolly. You see, this Christmas she didn't get any toys. And she's wondering, Mr. Cobbler, with that needle and thread of yours, could you, could you fix this limping arm? It's the only toy I have. And he put his arms around that little waif and he dragged her into the warmth and sat her down and gave her a few cookies that he had made for Jesus so that she could have a little something. And he sewed up that little dolly arm and then took a half of the loaf that's left of his bread and put it in a sack and said, "Give this to your, give this to your mom and dad." And with a thank you, she left and she was gone. Sat back in his chair. Boy, the day is getting long. Christmas Day will be over. And sure enough, finally, there was another knock at the door. He races to the door, the same door, opens it, and it's a young mother in tears. His heart falls. She's in tears. They've known the village cobbler from afar known of his kindness and it's Christmas Day and my husband's out of work and the children haven't had anything to eat today and he looks behind her frail shoulder and there they are huddled in that little dilapidated wagon and he grabs the whole brood and brings them in and sits them around the table and the fire and gives the rest of the meal to them, bids them farewell and that night when that cobbler knelt down beside his bed in tears. He said, God, Jesus, you told me you would show up today on Christmas Day and you never came. Why? And it's silent in that dark room until a voice speaks. Cobbler friend, I promised you I would come today and I came. I was in that baker you took in. I was the little girl with the broken dolly arm. I was the crying mother. Trust me, for I was hungry, and you fed me. I was a stranger, and you took me in. For as much as you have done it to one of the least of these, my children on this campus... You have done it to me. For you see, when when you throw the door to your home open, to strangers, you throw the door of your heart open to Christ. And be honest. Entertaining angels? But what about entertaining the King of angels Himself? I choose Jesus. Don't you? Fill in that slip. Take a risk. Throw open the doors of your home and let's win some strangers to Christ. What do you say?